Welcome friends to Infertility and Me podcast, a safe space created with the silent sufferer in mind. I Am Podcast is dedicated to infertility advocacy and sharing diverse stories to help you feel validated, seen, and heard. I am your host, Monique Farouk, and I am one in eight two. Healing is best when done together. Hey friend, could you please do me the honor of leaving a five-star rating and review in Apple iTunes? This will increase our show's ranking and reach more friends who may be silently suffering with infertility too. We're stronger together, staying connected, getting plugged in. Thank you, friends, for tuning in to Infertility and Me. Appreciate you for being here. If this is your very first time listening to the podcast, thank you for hitting that play button. You didn't have to do it, but you did. And I'm so honored that you have chosen to listen to the Infertility and Me podcast. You guys, you can reach me at Infertility and Me podcast on Instagram and get social with me there. You can also reach me at Infertility and Me podcast dot com or you can email me any of your questions comments or feedback in email form at infertility and me at outlook.com today's guest is megan and she is going to share with us her story and path through infertility unfortunately megan and her husband suffered many many losses along their Uh, path to parenthood. Um, She had about three tubal slash ectopic pregnancies, which resulted in losing both of her tubes through surgery. Both tubes eventually ruptured. And she also had a few unsuccessful transfers with IVF treatment. And it was later found out that she had some reproductive issues that she was born with that can often be overlooked, but contributed to her multiple, well, more than multiple losses, over five losses, about seven losses that she endured, her and her husband. And they had actually, and so this episode, she will tell us all about her story, her losses. So if you have recently experienced loss and if it's been a while since you had loss, but it's still very triggering for you to hear stories of loss, I encourage you to listen to another episode and come back to this one when and if you can. I just want to make that very clear that this will be a triggering episode because of the losses that Megan suffered with her husband through two ectopic pregnancies, chemical pregnancies, and early pregnancy loss at seven and eight weeks and such. And thank you, friends, just so much for continuing to listen and support the podcast. I appreciate you so very much. We've been doing this thing together for just about 18 months now, and I'm just so honored that you choose to come back each episode to listen, to share, and to engage with our guests. And if you'd ever like to be a public guest, you can reach me 
at infertilityandme at outlook.com or you can visit the website and just fill out the form for the anonymous infertility warriors series and or as a public guest under get in touch those details will be in today's show notes as well as how you can connect with megan as well will be in the show notes and show details please pay attention to those show details because that is how you can connect with me and or our guests for each episode. Appreciate you guys so very much for tuning in to Infertility and Me podcast. Just a quick reminder, friend, you may hear my baby in the background, Omar Jr. And so I apologize in advance if it's too distracting, but you guys know I am a work from home mom. And so you may hear him in this episode and or many other episodes to come or past if you go back into the podcast library. We'll be back in just a second, friends, with Megan. You know, it's not easy being public about this sort of a thing, but it does help so many other people, you know, that are still in the thick of it. So I appreciate yeah. you. Yeah. The, um, you know, I've had just enough people message me and it's it's not like a, a floodgate of them, but it's just every it's always worth it. You know, it's just always worth mm-hmm. it to put th- my story out there for somebody else to feel like, I don't know, to feel like they're not alone, yeah. mostly. Yeah. yeah. So how did you and hubby meet? Oh, gosh, <laughs> I love meeting stories, too. So actually a blind date. Mm-hmm. I was so opposed to them. And a friend set us up and we were having trouble finding a day. Um, I believe she said to him, the only day I know she's not free is Tuesday because it's girls' night, and he's very bold, and he said, well, just ask her if I can come to girls' night. So he did, and um, my my friends left, and we hung out and started dating after that. It was so funny because I had no intention of dating him, and he had no intention of dating me. The only reason we we agreed is um, most of our friends were married. All of them, I think, both of us, all of our friends were married or engaged at this point, and we were like, we needed somebody to go out with and do things with, so. <laughs> oh, I love it. And so, how long has it been um, since the last time you guys went through any form of treatment? Okay, so I am terrible with dates. If if my husband was on here, he could literally give you the exact <laughs> year, but I think... I think it's been about four years at this point. Okay. It's been a good chunk of time, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so who who is Megan now that you are no longer in the thick of it all? Who is who is she now compared to before? Oh gosh, what a good question. So as painful as my infertility journey was as 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 painful as some of the remnants still are um i really credit it with allowing me and more of me to come out and 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 allowing me to learn more about who i really am and who i really wanted to be um there was probably the most pivotal time my husband and i were living in california um, so, and, and I had moved away from all of my friends and family and we were meeting new people and it was really when our infertility journey started in earnest, we started looking into IVF and, and needing to research doctors and 
I didn't have anyone to really talk to or relate to and I was lonely. And there's this pivotal point where I thought, I'm, I am done. I'm done. I'm tired. I'm so tired. And I didn't necessarily want to leave this world, but I did want to stop trying to the extent that I knew that I would sabotage my entire life. I knew it. I accepted it and was like, yes, I knew my marriage would fall apart. Mm -hmm. I just wanted to withdraw so badly because I was so exhausted and I did not know what else to do. I didn't know who to be if I couldn't do this thing. I had, I had put all of my stock in being a mom. I had put right. all of the, all of my confidence in who I was supposed to be in the idea of being a mom. And the funny thing is, is when you're faced with this idea of, of kind of all or nothing, there was just this, this voice that was like, but, but what if, like, if you're really just going to go out <laughs> like this, what if you just really explored a whole different life? What if you looked at everything from the opposite perspective? What if, and I felt like I owed this, at least this to my husband, right? Like, like we promised to do this life together. I should give this one more, you know, college try, try if you will. Um, and then I thought I, rather than completely disconnecting, I thought, what if I worked harder to be more radically connected? What if I connected with myself? What if I connected with other people? Not on this, this you know, superficial surface, how are you today? I'm fine kind of way um, that we all knee jerk in life. But in, in the really hard conversations, the really open conversations, the things that nobody talk about, but that connect us more than anything else. That's a lot. That's that's a that's a whole entire episode in and of its own because so much of infertility in the community as a whole is about just one more time, you know, right. just one more time. And I think it goes to that toxic positivity that not only we see in the community sometimes, but also in life in general, where we're like we we become overachievers. It doesn't matter what it is; it could be trying to conceive it could be college it could be work just I'm going to try this one more time to try to make partner or to become CEO you know what I'm saying and I I do I do know exactly what you're saying and I'm so glad that you said that because that was something that was really hard for me in terms of there is so much love and support in the community there is also sometimes this underlying feeling and and I'm not saying anyone put it on me I'm saying I I derived it myself but Absolutely. shame Absolutely. for not going on shame for not doing one more time for not kind of more fully sacrificing myself if you will in terms of making it happen yeah yeah and and I I don't I didn't say that to try to offend anyone because most of our li listener friends are still in the thick of, of things and stuff and so I didn't say that to once. I, I just want you guys to know that I'm not saying that in a way to shame you or anything like that. But I think that it starts long before infertility or any kind of extreme paths to parenthood like we've all experienced, you know? 
Oh, absolutely. And and I I reiterate that too. This is not something this is not something I want um you know, the community to think that I am like pinpointing about I like I said I derived that on my own because that's how I lived my life. What does everybody else want me to do? It's not because um somebody was specifically saying these things to me, but it's just that idea. It's kind of looking out in the world and looking for nodding heads. Oh, okay, everyone agrees with this move. Great, I'm going to do it. Rather than looking inside and really saying, what do I need? And and I think that's what I would say to someone who's in the thick of it right now. If what you need is to do one more time and one more time again, then that then do it by all means. But if what you need and deep down in your deep, deep knowing is to stop, then that's okay too. It's really, really personal. And and stopping, and what I'm also hearing you say that stopping doesn't necessarily mean that it's a permanent stop either. It's just sometimes I think when people say, um, you know, we stopped or it didn't work for us, it just... It, it feels final. The word stop always feels final, but stop is just a, a pause, really, mm-hmm. and into the next phase of your life, whatever that looks like, and whatever you and your spouse decide to do. And so I think we have to normalize, you know, just pausing sometimes, too. Were there ever moments in your story where you paused? And, and we'll backtrack in a minute um, to, you know, a, a synopsis of what you guys went through in, in its totality. I love that you said that because. Yes, a pause. <laughs> and we paused a lot. And I wasn't even sure when we did decide to discontinue fertility treatments that I would really stick to that choice. And I, I honestly left it pretty gray. I said I wasn't going to do another round of IVF, but I, in my mind, I really left it open just in case I changed my mind because we're all allowed to change our mind. Um, and it... So I don't want to continue to beat that into the ground. But yes, we're all allowed to change our minds. And that means stop is never finite. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So let's go back to, so how long was it when you guys, how long were you guys married before you started trying to conceive? Or did you have a physical condition like PCOS or endometriosis that led to your diagnosis of infertility? I didn't. So we were married between three and four years. We were, we were closing on, on four years. Um, actually I think it was shorter. I think it was right around three years Mm -hmm. and I didn't have a diagnosis. I didn't have any indication that something might not be right or that would indicate this, this level of infertility. Okay. Yeah. That's kind of like my story too. Really. Mm -hmm. Had you ever, had you, had you, um, ever been pregnant before at all? No. No, no, yeah. No. Neither did I. Had you? Um, no. Okay. No, I had never been pregnant um, until we got pregnant, you know. Um, mm-hmm. You know, 32 years. <laughs> it took 32 right. years, you know, essentially. So I how, was about the same age. Yeah. yeah. I was about the same age as you. Yeah. Yeah. So we probably around the same age then. So, yeah. So it's so crazy. And, um, you know, you go through college, you go through getting engaged and dating and having fun and stuff and you just never think that this is where you will end up not necessarily being a bad thing but that what we didn't want so much when we were younger then becomes everything you know honestly I mean my friends and I have joked about that I was paranoid paranoid 
And now to realize <laughs> there was no need. <laughs> so crazy how life works out sometimes. Yeah. So you guys start trying to conceive, like walk us through how that, how that went down and then um, what led to you going to your reproductive endocrinologist? Sure. So my, my first pregnancy is kind of a crazy story because um, we had been trying and anyone who is on this journey knows the difference between trying and not trying. Um, so we had been trying and um, without success. It had been, I think, close to six months and I was putting up Christmas decorations and I, I bent sideways and and my my back hurt. And I was also scheduled that the end of that week for a test because I had finally gone to the doctor and due to my age and the time we'd been trying, he was ready to start some preliminary tests to possibly put me on Clomid. Um, so I had to do that test on a certain day of my cycle and we were kind of nearing that day and I hadn't started yet. Um, I had this strange back pain and I got really sick. So I went to, um, so I called the doctor. I said, listen, I'm passing this window. I haven't started my period. I have taken pregnancy tests and they are negative. Come to find out the reason they do that window of time is just to ensure that you are not pregnant when you do the test. So they said, come in, do a pregnancy test. We'll clear you and we'll still, we'll move forward. I said, great. Well, I got really sick. I went and I, I drug myself out of bed. My back was still in pain. I went to get my test and then went directly to urgent care. Mm-hmm. So I'm sitting in urgent care. The doctor's starting to prescribe all these medications to me. And I hold my hand up and I said, not to be complicated because I hate, more than anything, I hate to be complicated. I want it to be really easy and everything to be really smooth. And I said, I hate to be complicated, but and I gave him the kind of the cliff notes version of what was going on. And he looked at me and he said, yeah, I don't think you're pregnant. And I mean, my whole body sunk into the chair. It just felt, I didn't think I was either, but it just felt horrible to hear. He said, I don't think you're pregnant, but before we prescribe you all these meds, because I'm sorry, I blew the punchline. I had shingles of all things. Okay. Um, and... He said, before we prescribe you all these meds, I'm going to find out. I'm going to call the the clinic and find out. He comes back in forever later, and I was pregnant. I had shingles, and I was pregnant. And it was bizarre. Um, So, but I think with that pregnancy, we went to our first appointment, and I... um, I actually started to miscarry just slightly before that first appointment, but things seemed okay. We heard a heartbeat, and we moved on. And then shortly after that, I lost the baby. And that was around seven and a half weeks, eight weeks. Was it, do they know, was the loss due to shingles or had it been treated um, and and then you had the loss? They do not, my doctor Without even my asking, he explicitly told me, I do not think this has anything to do with it. I think he called it a textbook miscarriage. He said, I can't tell you what caused it, but um, I don't believe it was shingles. And and to be honest, I went ahead and I took 
all of the prescriptions for the medication, but I waited to take them and I, I looked them up and I researched them myself. Um, I ended up not taking the pain meds because I didn't think that was necessary. And I did take the antiviral meds because when I did do my research, it seemed like it was more dangerous for the virus to get worse for the fetus than it was for me to take the medication. Gotcha. Gotcha. And so did you guys continue trying to conceive? What happened after you had the loss? So we did continue to try. There was no reason not to. Um, after that, I ended up having, and I can't, I can't remember how exactly I found out I was pregnant again, but I ended up having a tubal pregnancy. Um, and I had options at that point to either take a cancer drug called methyltrexate or have the tube removed. And because the, the, um, the baby didn't grow big enough to make my tube burst, so I still had the option. I chose the drug because surgery, again, with the complicated thing, it seemed very aggressive. It seemed like too much. I wasn't in any pain. Um, and it seemed like that tube was kind of representing hope, right? If I could keep it, there was a greater percentage or chance of hope that I could hope that things would turn out okay. So I did take the drug, and then I had to take blood tests continuously, weekly, for months to make sure that everything had had kind of passed through my system. Yeah. So, so what is it? So, how were you feeling after this this ectopic topic pregnancy? Do you remember? Did you share? Did you have any grief? Did you and your husband share any grief? Because now we're talking about two two losses, right? Yeah, and I I think I shoved it down quite a bit. You know, one 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 really poignant part of this experience that I remember is, and I had to take the drug twice because it didn't work the first time, so I had to do this twice. I had to go to the cancer ward. And I had to, it was in a separate place on the hospital campus, and I had to go and have a nurse give me the shot because it wasn't something they kept in the OB's office. And I was very low priority, as you would expect, as I would expect. And so I sat there both times for easily an hour, maybe more, um, while people were receiving chemo. And it's one of those things that, you know, we compare uh, we leapfrog off of somebody else's situation, and we we kind of shame ourselves. Well, at least this isn't happening. You're not here. You still have a chance to have another baby. And I really think, um, I really think I just used that experience of sitting in that room with people who are fighting for their lives um, to kind of shove things down and to just keep from feeling what I absolutely deserved to feel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, man. So what happens next? <laughs> um, next, I had a chemical pregnancy because at this point, it's the third time I knew the signs. I knew I was pregnant. The pregnancy tests were coming through negative. And, and I also, by this point, 
had seen a lot of my doctor in his office. So, um, and oh, I cannot even praise them enough. I can't praise him enough. He was very hands-on. It's he's it's him and an office manager, and that's it. So it's a very lean team. Um, so I called in and I said, hey, I'm ex- this is what I'm experiencing. So they got me in for a blood test right away. And it just showed um, my HCG levels were very low to begin with. And then they were dropping. So while it was evident that I had been for some short amount of time pregnant, I was, I was no longer pregnant and I didn't need any procedures. That was just a very quick I felt like, oh, you can be a little bit pregnant, kind of. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So at um, this point, did they did they do any tests to find out why you, well, I, I guess they wouldn't have done any testing to see why you had these reoccurrent losses because it seemed like everything that was happening was so concrete because the first one was um, textbook, then the second one was tool, then the third one is chemical. So were they at all concerned that you would be continuously having losses like this? The conversation was happening with my doctor, but it was basically like, you can get tested, but it will not be covered by insurance because you don't meet the requirements yet. I ha- I would have had to have three miscarriages. And I, if I remember correctly, the tubal did not count because the mm-hmm. tubal is considered a different problem. So I didn't know that. Wow. Mm-hmm. So I had two... And I would have had to wait for a third or a fourth loss in total to um, qualify. And I wasn't ready yet. You Mm -hmm. know, again, denial. Denial is our best friend. Not really, but it's what we cling to. So um, I thought it it just takes once, right? Mm -hmm. And and back to the beginning of our conversation, just one more time, one more time. And so did you take a break at this point? We did not take, no, we did not take a break. Oh no, this is my, I I am plowing on um, personality. So we did not take a break. Um, We, I got pregnant again. And this time my tube did not make it. Um, I... I was in a lot of pain. Jason and I were in a horrible fight. And I was in laying in bed and I started cramping very badly. And I decided it was the time that I needed to settle this fight because I knew something was wrong. There was no way it was going to keep me from saying my piece. <laughs> so I marched downstairs and told him, whatever I had to say for whatever we were fighting about. And then as I marched back up, I said something, you know, really powerful, like, oh, and by the way, something is really wrong. We may end up in the ER tonight. <laughs> and we didn't. I, I eventually fell asleep. But um, and I, I eventually the pain subsided enough to fall asleep. I woke up the next day and I felt better, but I was still hurting, it still hurt to sit down. It still hurt to move quickly. Um, so I called my doctor's office and it was funny because when I called and I'm telling her, I'm giving her textbook, I have severe pain on one side of, you know, my abdomen, I'm five to six weeks pregnant. And she just kept saying, well, do you feel like you want to come in? Because I think I had an appointment like the next day 
Or do you feel like you want to wait? And I thought, oh no, I need you to tell me. (laughs) You tell me. And finally, I just said, I need to come in. I know that I need to come in. Um, They sent me down to the perinatal unit. They did an ultrasound. They couldn't see anything. My doctor did an ultrasound first. The perinatal unit did an ultrasound. And what it really came down to is, I think I got there about 3 o'clock and then about 7 p.m. that night. That's how long everything took, a lot of waiting. Um, My doctor said, we don't know what's wrong exactly because we can't see. But my guess is you are having another tubal pregnancy in the same tube. And um, he said, we need to take it out. We need to go in and take it out. And I think you should do it tonight. So we, I stayed there. And he also said, if I get in there and your other tube looks bad, I'm going to take it. And I, ha- I had to consent to that at that point, too. I didn't have to. I could have said, no, don't. Right, but it didn't right. seem logical. Um, so I said, okay, do whatever you have to do. Mm-hmm. So how did yeah. it feel like? Now, after that, we took a break. (laughs) Right. So did they end up having to take both of your tubes? They didn't. I was bleeding quite a bit internally. The tube had ruptured, all of those things. Um, He came in, and I remember him coming in and sitting on the hospital bed, because normally it would have been a... a, um, a procedure where I, w- I was there for a few hours, but since it was so late at night, I spent the night and he came in and sat on my hospital bed and showed me the pictures. And I said, I'm so tired. I need to rest. And he said, I think you should. And I said, I can't do this. He said, I, I, I understand. And it was just he and I, and apparently he had a separate conversation with Jason that was similar. And I think he even said to Jason, you guys need a break so we took it (laughs) wow 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 so the grieving process did how what did you have a grieving process maybe i should ask after you you guys said look we're going to take a break the doctor encouraged it and you fully and wholeheartedly believed that you guys needed to so did you go through a grieving process and if you did How did you cope and navigate that? I think I did start grieving at that point. I think I acknowledged to myself, okay, this is something. This is not your average, I'm trying to get pregnant, it's not working for a while, or it's a little hard. I think I started to realize that, but Mm -hmm. I think almost the severity of it made me push it back even more. And I think I thought the break would give me time to breathe. You know, that I would, I don't think we, I think grieving is like peeling an onion. And I think sometimes we allow ourselves just to peel that first layer and we're kind of like, okay, I did it. I grieved. I acknowledged it. I'm ready to go. And I think that's what I did. I did acknowledge it. I did start having conversations about it. I started bringing things up to my friends. Um, But I do not think I sat and let my feelings fully surface or allowed myself to think that I deserved to have a full-on grieving process. I didn't meet any of these babies. 
I didn't see them. You know, I kept telling myself things like, well, this isn't like when someone loses a child that they have seen grow. You know, I didn't, I didn't, um, I didn't accept that this was very heavy. And so do you think it was because, do you believe that, because I'm pretty sure there's many other people who do the same thing, uh, husband and or wife or Mm -hmm. spouse, um, that believe that because the pregnancy was early or, you know, because it was a chemical and then you had two ectopic tubal pregnancies, do you think, think believing that or were you trying to, do you think it was a coping mechanism? That, you, yes. that your body and your mind had created, like, look, it wasn't even that serious. Yes, I really do think it was. I think I was afraid if I, and again, you know, this is something coming up in an infertility journey, but it is something that, that was already about me that needed, that I needed to learn, mm-hmm. that I was so afraid of my feelings and I was so afraid if I really opened up and let them spill out, I would never recover. I think some part of me thought, if you don't keep it together, you will fully fall apart and you'll never come back. When it really, it's the opposite. (laughs) Keeping it in was really making me kind of fall apart. You know, I think sometimes we believe too that, yeah, no, you you said it perfectly. I can't even add to it. Nope. You said it just right. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And so you guys are, you know, pretty much on like a forced break for your own mental, emotional, and physical sanity, mm-hmm. right? And then for hubby, like trying to gather himself as a man and dealing with that. I, and I know you can't speak for him. I just imagine that he had his own set of issues that he was dealing with emotionally too. And as a couple, how did you guys navigate uh, helping each other through this time. I'm really glad that you bring the male perspective into this because I just, I think they are overlooked so often. Mm-hmm. And I think the fact that we all cope so differently and then have to coexist and help each other through it at the same time is so, is a piece of this that is not fully explored. Um, he, I think was also in denial, but I also think he didn't, when I got pregnant, I immediately, every time, I immediately just flashed before my eyes the whole life of this child. You know, I already imagined them fully into existence. And I don't know that Jason went through that. It it wasn't real to him yet. He didn't have to change anything about his life. Um, that is not to say that he wasn't having very heavy feelings and that he wasn't also pushing down. Um, I think both of us were kind of helping each other just keep going and keep running because after this, we moved to California. He got a job opportunity and we jumped on it and said, yeah, we're out of here. Yeah, Um, We need some kind of stimulus. Not that it wasn't an exciting opportunity or we wouldn't have taken it otherwise, but we definitely were at a time when it was very attractive to run. Mm-hmm. Mm. That's um, that's really deep. Yeah, yeah. I imagine uh, many of us go through the same thing. I know I did. You know, and just letting 
work life and the life that you're trying to build together outside of having children um, mm-hmm. kind of like run you a little bit and letting that be your you know a healthy distraction but not really all that healthy you know <laughs> yeah, exactly <laughs> because you don't really want to sit in it you know well how did you and your husband navigate it girl we did the same thing we just immersed mm-hmm. ourselves and because kind of the same thing we had we were in a town that we weren't originally from and where we mm-hmm. met each other and so we were like opening up various businesses and just working girl just working yeah. <laughs> just working and using distractions to keep us from from keeping us from destroying what we were trying to build too mm-hmm. I think because you know when you start having issues with your body it can even make or break your your relationship and and many people don't 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 know you just don't know until you you actually in the thick of it how bad it can really get you know absolutely and it's it's not i mean i'm saying the major kind of timeline events and the things that are bad in a relationship are like my body was in pain a lot you know i had yeah. i was constantly recovering from a procedure um that affects how you think of yourself. I felt broken. I felt like I wasn't a good enough wife. I felt like I wasn't a good enough woman. And all of those really poignant, but um, things that are below the surface affect your relationship so much. It really, really does. And so what made you guys start trying again? Did you like just feel like, okay, we're settled here in California. Um, we kind of know like what direction we're going in career wise. And so let's start trying again. How long was it after that, that last ectopic pregnancy with you? Oh, I don't, I want to say it was, I mean, we, this is, again, we took a really long break. Jason came to me about ending the break and I just burst out in tears. So we, we kept going with that. And after that, to be honest, we just decided we're not going to try again. Like, we wouldn't not try, but the only thing that we would put on our radar from that point on was IVF. We were not going to expect that we would naturally get pregnant and that that would work out, and we weren't going to put effort into that. Um, so once we got moved to California, and I think it was about a year, we started looking into IVF doctors. And I, mm-hmm. I don't know, did you experience IVF in your journey? through IVF too to have our son who's now four okay and, um, yeah so you you guys so what made you guys decide that IVF would be your next step instead of trying naturally again I didn't trust it I didn't mm-hmm. really think and I had mentioned something to my doctor as well as I just told him I, I want to go straight to this I didn't want to do any of the other steps along the way I just felt like we need to take the most the biggest step we can um, to try to make this happen almost just for sanity purposes. Like if, if IVF doesn't work, then we know. Um, so he agreed with me. He said, don't, don't try any other methods, just go straight to it. So when we, when we got to California, I started researching doctors and that's why I asked if you'd gone through it. I was so naive and I think I so didn't want to know um, also, with any other medical procedure, you know, you don't have to know as much as you have to know with IVF. You go in, they tell you what to do, and you leave, um, whether it's a, you know, surgery or whatever. Um, 
So I was super naive, but our first doctor didn't work out for a plethora of reasons. I moved on to another doctor, and right before my first appointment, a week before my first appointment, I found out I was pregnant. Um, I called to cancel the appointment. They said, congratulations, we hope we never see you. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, But I miscarried that baby. Um, And then... I'm trying to keep keep this straight in my head. Um, so then we eventually did do all of the procedures and the checkups and the the testing and 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 did fully did um, IVF. And then, but before that, one week before we were supposed to start our like take the birth control, you know that very very first step, um, I found out I was pregnant again. And it felt like a 16-year-old calling my nurse because she had said, don't have unprotected sex. And I was like, oh, good <laughs> God. The likelihood of me getting pregnant is so low. I, we were just not worried about it at all. Um, so I called her and I told her and I felt like I was confessing my sins. And um, she just laughed and said, we'll get through it, Megan, come to the office. And that Friday, it was Friday before Memorial Day weekend, and I, I got there and they saw, I, I expected to miscarry. I mean, I'm not going to say profanities on your podcast, but when I saw my, my positive test, I blurted out some pretty colorful language. Um, I expected to miscarry at this point. There was no thought in my mind that I was going to carry a baby to term. However, when we did get to my doctor's office, they couldn't see a baby on the screen. And it turns out that the chances are very likely if your one tube is bad, that your other tube is also bad. Going back to my doctor saying he was going to take it. But he'd seen it, literally. He'd opened up my body, looked at it, and said it looked fine. Mm-hmm. Um, so he, they said it's very likely you're having an ectopic in your other tube. With your history, we will not wait. We will not try alternative remedies we will just get you in and remove the tube. So he took, the doctor took some blood tests to confirm it and said that they would call us that night. And before they could even, he he was going to get in touch with my doctor in California. And um, before they could even call us, I was in the worst pain I had ever been in uh, to the point that we lived probably two miles from the hospital and, and Jason was trying to figure out if he should call the ambulance or take me himself because he wasn't sure I could walk into the hospital. And I had never in any of my other situations ever been in this much pain. So we went to the ER and they eventually got me in and, and did emergency surgery and removed the other tube. Did Was there ever an explanation for your recurrent losses and why you kept having um, the ectopics? Because this would have been, this is number six loss, right? And then number, yes. and then your third ectopic. Right. Was there some kind of genetic condition or anything contributing to it? No, they kept doing tests and they kept finding nothing. Um, when all was said and done, I don't know if you know this, but this was news to me. I guess whenever you are developing in utero, like when we were developing in utero, our uterus was bifurcated. Everybody starts out that way. And the body eventually absorbs it. And there's kind of a, but if it doesn't fully absorb, there's a septum at the top 
the kind of the, the base of the triangle, if you will. And that's where it's your most blood rich. And that is where usually, uh, you know, the embryo or the, the fetus attaches and the placenta grows and all those things. So when I finally did go to do IVF, they did find I had a very slight septum and they thought that might be part of the problem. They did remove it. It didn't, I, it still didn't work for me. However, my doctor, my original OB felt like because of all the ectopics and because of that, he said, for whatever reason, he just doesn't think that my reproductive system developed properly. He said it didn't develop incorrectly enough for you not to get pregnant, but it did. There's too many things happening here, he said, for for it to not have been something that is in your system. Yeah. Wow. So where do we go from here? Well, IVF, we experienced um, a pregnancy and a miscarriage. That was the seventh loss. We then, at this point, we, I literally did the transfer two weeks before we moved back to St. Louis. Um, so at this point, we're back in Missouri, and we found another doctor. We tried, I think it was two more transfers that were unsuccessful. And the last set, of, the last transfer was a full, you know, we had to fully redo everything, um, the first time we were in St. Louis and did the transfer, we used embryos that were frozen in California. And then then we made the choice to you know, do it one more time, <laughs> um, one more try, uh, do a full cycle for the last one. But I did it on the condition that I would not, no matter what, no matter whether we had embryos left over or not, that I would not keep trying, that I would do this one time. Okay. And then I would, and then I would stop. And like I said at the beginning of this conversation, I wasn't sure I would stick with that. I did leave myself a little bit of grace to change my mind. But when we got the news that it didn't take, it was it was just too awful. I just couldn't. And I was I was tired of living my life for this infertility journey. You know, I couldn't progress as a person. And and I know that's not for everybody. Some people are able to in parallel you know, um, develop and grow. And I just, I wasn't able to, I felt stunted and I felt held back and I wanted to breathe and I just couldn't do both. Yeah. Wow. Wow. And so how did you feel making the decision? Did it feel like, how did that kind kind of a relief? Mm. Really? I, I just decided almost immediately I made some big life decisions and kind of um, felt like I took back control. You know, it felt like infertility was in control for so many years, mm-hmm. whether it was, I mean, gosh, IVF and the, the needle sticks and the timing, that is enough to drive you mad, yeah, you know? It really, and it, and it has to be. There, you say to yourself, I'm not going to let this. I am going to just be me, and we're going to live our life, and we're going to do fun things, and we're just not going to be consumed by this. And it truly isn't possible. It isn't po- You have to check every med. It is on you. You have to be on time. You miss one dose, and you have, you have ruined your entire cycle 
and you have to start all over. It's crazy. I, um, one night I was trying to get to my friend who's a nurse because my husband was out of town to give me a shot and there was an accident and it was a parking lot and I, I, I wasn't going to make it. So I, I took the alcohol pads and I washed my hands as best I could. And on the, in the middle of the highway, parked on the highway, I gave myself a shot in the car because I was going to miss my window. And it was bonkers. Wow. Pure, true definition of <laughs> having infertility, going through treatments and doing whatever's necessary. True. You know, but you know what? It's like, I got these, this money tied up into this thing. We start thinking about it like an asset or an investment, you know? Absolutely. Oh, and what about the financial side of it? I mean, we had really good insurance and we still had to pay quite a bit out of pocket. And most people, it's not covered by insurance. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. That's a whole, that's, that could be a whole episode. It really, yeah. For sure. For sure. And so that last unsuccessful cycle is the last. And uh, you said you felt like it was a relief, like a weight had been lifted off you guys' shoulders. And it's so once you began to heal, where where did that lead you? Um um, moving forward, career life and or personal, and how did you reclaim who you were? Well, that was one of the big decisions I made pretty early on as I did change jobs. And it just so happened something popped up that was a good opportunity. I couldn't pass it up. And it was good timing. And I took it. So I, I did change jobs relatively soon after this, um, that made a huge difference. And it was just kind of signaled a little bit of a clean slate. Everything was new about going about my day and my routine and my schedule. That was helpful, more helpful than I probably gave it credit for at the time. But I also finally started to sit with those feelings and finally decided, started thinking about who do I want to be? How do I want to connect with the world? How do I want to move forward? Because I, and I felt like this might not be the life I thought I wanted, but how do I make it even better than what I could have even imagined? How do I do that? And I just thought, you just have to be ready, and you have to be open, and you have to just kind of, again, I go back to the connection. I, I just, almost everything, I think, is rooted in connecting with people. Yeah. After after everything, after you guys uh, decided to move forward, you got these new opportunities, new career, and things like that, did you find it, did you find yourself being able to speak about everything that you all have been through uh, more easily uh, and answer those questions that family had been trying to get out of you for a long time um, and, and doing so 
feeling more empowered than before? I would say yes. In the middle of probably about the time we were living in California, I started writing a lot. That became a much easier way to um, explain things to friends and family. I never mind answering questions, and I was always an open book, happy to update anyone, but I gave it in more of a factual way. You, know, I really kept the pain and the feelings and the grief out of it. And so I, I started a pretty anonymous blog and I just started when we, when we chose to do another round, I wrote a blog post and it was just easier to send that to everyone. And it was so cathartic and it was, it was just the thing I needed to start helping offload some of the things that I had just been gripping with everything I had. that kind of became your, your your blog and became you know sort of like your therapy after everything because you were mm-hmm. writing you were writing before and while you were still in the thick of things too weren't you I was yeah, not yeah. from the beginning but it was about halfway through I started yeah. to mm-hmm. yeah 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 and so four years have not have now now gone by and <laughs> and you look back you know, and everything that you guys have been through and you come into contact with the women and men and families who have been where you were or um, who may be currently just stepping into their journey. And if, you know, if, if, if anything you could tell them, uh, what would you want them to know based on your own experience? I would say number one, don't run as hard as it is. And as much it feels like you will implode from your grief, sit with it, allow it, allow it to overcome you for a minute or 10 or a day or a week. Just sit with it. Let it wash over you. Let it do what it does. It will not feel good at the time, but it is so necessary. And I don't know that you can properly listen to yourself and know what you truly need not just this one foot in front of the other, keep going, keep going, keep going, unless you sit with those feelings. And absolutely, at the end of the day, that answer might be keep going, or it might be pause, or it might be I'm at the end of my road. That's what I would say. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you enough. I can't thank you enough, Megan, for telling your your story so authentically and with uh, such empowerment behind it. Um, You know, so many people are losing so much right now with COVID and then also still dealing with infertility and lots of couples and and women having miscarriages in the midst of all of this. And so Mm -hmm. uh, we definitely cannot continue to run from what's happening to us and around us and within us. So I I thank you so much for taking the time out of your evening to do this and to just continue to be a voice. Absolutely. Thank you so much. This has just been so great to talk to you. And, And like I said at the beginning, I just love that you have this. I love that you have this outlet and this opportunity for people to hear other stories and know that they're not alone. And thank you, friends, for tuning in to Infertility and Me podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, friend, 
Take a screenshot and let me know on Instagram and tag Infertility and Me Podcast. You can also reach me at infertilityandmepodcast.com with your questions, comments, and feedback.